there's so much shame around this topic and so much shame around our hungers where I could see that this is really an opportunity for people to make life change. And so my intention in putting out this book was to really validate people's common humanity. What does success mean to you? How do you define it as our life and career changes? We are experiencing many changes in life now. How are you going to manage them? How about leveraging them? I'm Elizabeth Revens, your host for Next, a podcast dedicated to spotlighting actions and stories that empower a fluid approach to life and purpose, as well as inspiring you to reimagine, redefine, and redesign your next. Ready to make a change but not sure where to start? Head over to nextcareerlife.com. Explore your options, get clarity now, and download the free 10 questions. Become a member and connect with the community. Be part of the events. Remember, the magic is in the groups. All at nextcareerlife.com. Today's guest, Adrian Udim, MD, is a physician, nutrition specialist, professor, and founder of Dell Nutrition. Her work in her field is extensive with certifications from three different medical boards and a medical practice in Beverly Hills. Her accomplishments are impressive, but even beyond that, she is touching on a powerful message in her new book, Hungry for More, where she explores and provides insight into the desire to lose weight as a plea for something deeper, a yearning for a different way of living, a different way of being. Welcome, Adrienne. I'm really glad you're here. I'm so glad to be with you, Elizabeth. Thank you. Um, Just wanted to talk a little bit. I mean, you're a mom, you have, you are just a real dynamic person that's been able to do so very much. And I just want to dive into your book quick, really quickly, because it, it aligns with the work that you're doing and what you have learned from your work. Um, can you give me a little bit about what inspired you to write the book Hungry for More? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, as, as you said, I, I have a medical practice and I've been doing this work for uh, close to 20 years. And, um, you know, back when I started, there, was, there wasn't much weight loss talk in medicine, even though it, we, we were in the midst of a major epidemic. As physicians, we were dealing with all the complications, diabetes, heart disease, cancer. I mean, there's so many links between excess weight and health risk. Mm-hmm. But as physicians, we didn't have the tools to address patients, you know, and so I went into this field feeling like I really wanted to do it with rigor, you know, with scientific rigor. And so I was, you know, reading all the science and prescribing evidence-based drugs and evidence-based dietary plans. And all the while, I could understand that there was a deeper hunger at play. Um And it took me a while to be able to call it out. You know, I I, I say um, in the book that I didn't feel it was doctory of me (laughs) to bring it up, you know, to tell people, hey, um, your hunger is for autonomy because you're in a shitty job, right? Or your hunger is for connection because you're in a disconnected marriage or for uh, nature because you have disconnected yourself from the outdoors and and the world around us. And, but as I continue to practice uh, and I collected patient stories, I realized how universal these hungers are. You know, the same stories came 
back to me over and over again. And by the way, I personally am not immune. I was experiencing, I could relate. I was experiencing all of those hungers myself. And so I really felt like I had to put it out there, um, particularly because there's so much shame around this topic and so much shame around our hungers where I could see that this is really an opportunity for people to make life change. And so my intention in putting out this book was to really validate people's common humanity. Wow. That's, that's, and, it, and you do, it's, it's something, it's something for everyone. There's just, it touches on so many different topics that really make sense. And you give, I love that you give the experience that they're having, but then you also align, and it's very courageous of you, your own experiences, what you went through. So when you were doing this, you were, would you say you were also evolving or you already had come to this place where you were realizing that weight loss is, is sort of a secondary thing to deeper issues? Did you already know that or were you sort of on that path as well? I mean, I think, um, I think we're always evolving. <laughs> we're we always, always are. We're always learning. Um, and I mean, if your question is in writing this book, I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, it was really powerful for me as well to write down the stories, um, validating for me as well to review the science behind emotional eating. And um, I appreciate the, the remarks around uh, courage but honestly, I feel like I'm in this privileged position of hearing these stories and seeing how universal they are. And so it was really my patient's courage that allowed me to share because I was in the, again, I was in the lucky spot of, of seeing how very much the same we were. So um, putting in my stories felt like essential to the process and essential to my goal of the book, which was really taking out the shame and validating the experiences. Right, right. And, and it's so powerful because if we're going to grow, if we're going to live our best life, I almost believe, and this is in my life too, that you're given these opportunities. Things are going wrong in life in some way. And it's almost an invite to go deeper in yourself and really figure out what things are, are key issues for you and why are you this, why are these other things happening? It's almost like concentric circles. It really starts with, with us, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I wanted to also say that it's, it's refreshing because here you are a doctor with so many accomplishments and you're sharing your story along with their story making you very human and we are not all just one note you're not just the doctor who's in charge you, you you're a human being who's had you know experiences as well so it really makes it um it evens the playing field as far as the shame you know people are like you know what here she is accomplished and she's had to go through things and really realize things as well which i really uh, commend you on that i think it's incredible um i wanted to just share really quickly from some i mean every chapter has something for someone but i loved when you wrote in the abundance chapter when we operate from a piece a place of abundance we create a spaciousness that is available and inclusive of all i just stopped for a moment i had my yellow pen out once i was reading your book and i just stopped for a moment and said wow that is just wow and um Maybe you want to just share a little bit about that, how, how um, your clients, as I was reading, some of them 
weren't so open to this, this learning, but you could see it. How did you help them or did you just let them come to it on their own? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's different for everybody. And, you know, I want to say that um, I am very practical too in my approach and, you know, people are coming in for weight loss. And so there are practical strategies. There are FDA approved drugs, you know, as a physician, I'm doing all of that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, along the while, and I think in, in the conversations, people themselves will realize this, you know, underlying hunger, this itch. Um, that may or may not relate to food. So I really feel like even though the book is in the context of a weight loss setting, because that's what I practice, mm-hmm. um, I think anyone could pick up the book and see the stories and relate to the stories because they are stories um, or they describe hungers that really are human psychological needs, right? And so right. when we have unmet needs, um, there's a void, there's a hunger, right? And some people may fill that hunger with food. Some people may fill that hunger with smoking or drinking or even restricting their food, right? So food just happens to be a symbol really of something so much bigger. Um, And hunger too is also almost a symbol, right? Of something so much bigger. And so it really is about um, it's really about finding out what those unmet needs are and addressing them. And there is something beautiful that happens because yes, people come in for weight loss. Um, and to be honest, I never thought, you know, when I went into medicine that I was going to be a quote weight loss doc, like that was what I <laughs> dreamed about, but it is so much more powerful that, than that because in reckoning with our relationship with food and with our bodies, um, it gives us an opportunity to, to reckon with so many deeper and more important questions in our life. Oh yeah, really, that's profound and it's so true. And, and again, I was just you know thinking when these clients come in and you're able to, to, of course, give them the framework, give them the things that they need, are they, what I wanted to know, I guess, is, is, are they open to hearing more or do you just stay away from that? Or do you say, perhaps have you considered, or do you go there or do you just stay out of that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think again, it is individual, but I think people these days are really wanting kind of a holistic approach. And so when I address my patients, I address it in the context of, um, you know, of course the food that we eat, movement and you know i don't like to call it exercise because people have this visceral reaction to it but you know moving our bodies um sleep adequate sleep all of these things physiologically relate to our weight um energy so you know some of the metrics that we measure it's not just weight on the scale but energy mood uh stress reduction how we're handling the the stressors in our lives we can't change them but we can change how we relate to them and so it this kind of uh approach allows for that kind of conversation yes yeah yeah exactly and then you had mentioned you know earlier on there wasn't this sort of weight loss sort of medicine type of thing um that you you evolved into wouldn't you say that that 
more and more you see an integrative approach. It almost has to be. If someone, if someone has issues with food, there's always something pretty much underlying, right? So the integrative approach, I think, is really something that is kind of getting some traction. Uh, yeah, and now. look, and it doesn't have to be, you know, we can talk about emotional eating and even the science behind that, but it doesn't even have to be like when we think about emotional eating, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, like in my mind, I envision like some girl who just got dumped by her boyfriend is sitting in front of the TV eating two pints of ice cream. Like that's not how it needs, you know, that's not yeah. what it is. It can be something as simple as, um, boredom and restlessness because you're working from home in a pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Or it can be like clutter that's giving you anxiety in your space, right? So it can be these difficult emotions that aren't necessarily, you know, so profound and yet they're causing that itch. But what we know about the physiology, and, and I think this is, again, I'm, I'm a science nerd, so of course I love it. Uh, I love all the science stuff, but I mm-hmm. think it's also validating to understand the science behind it. Because, you know, when we eat, our, our energy intake is regulated by a bunch of hormones, right? So if we eat food, the food gets to our gut, and then our stomach will send off a signal to our brain hey, we got the food and helps it shut off or signals it to shut off that hunger signal, right? And so that makes sense. You eat and the hunger signal in your brain gets shut off, right? Right. What we know though, is that when people experience difficult emotions, stressors, sadness, uh, and by the way, we are in this state of, you know, kind of chronic heightened sympathetic drive. That's stress, right? That's chronic stress it actually hijacks our hunger hormones. So it changes the direction and the level of those hormones to increase hunger, even when you've consumed food. So that's really powerful to know that this is not a moral (laughs) issue or a character flaw, but that genuinely uh, and physiologically, hunger is going to change based on our emotions. And when we have that information, um, we can, we're empowered to make change in a practical sense, right? In a practical sense. And then when you think about hunger on a different level, um, you know, it's really about looking into your, your life, which this reckoning, I think, is also something that the pandemic brought on. People were really reconsidering how they want to work, right? Mm-hmm. What they want to do, how they want to spend their money, who they want to spend their time with. These are all questions that have come up. And it's true that when we are not open to them or we're we're unaware, right? It creates an itch. It creates a hunger, right? Right. And so I guess what I'm saying is that let's let's open up to this itch. Let's open up to this hunger because it is an opportunity for you to examine the parts of your life that are not fulfilling to you and to level up. Oh, right. I love I love that. And you did touch on in your introduction, you did touch on the uh, pandemic and and writing the book. And um, I wanted to also discuss that because it's been such a shift. And I do see that people are looking at what matters. How do I want to work? What's and I, I it's almost we were forced to go inside. We were forced to stay inside. And I and I feel like this is a lot of people are starting to look at themselves inside. And so the natural action of wanting comfort, and I'm not a scientist, I love science, but I'm not a, someone like yourself. 
but it's a natural action. And we're used to the old way of just taking things and taking action, taking action, instead of slowing down and taking time to go, what is this? I'm going to embrace that I am uncomfortable. I'm hungry or I'm, my mind is telling me I'm hungry. My nervous system's telling me I'm hungry. What, but I just ate or, you know, being mindful and intentional and, and taking that a step further and looking at it. I think it's just um, really powerful that you bring that in because it takes patience. Like you said, you know, um, I want to quote one thing. I believe the current weight loss culture is based on false promises, serving up what is simply untrue, that weight is matter, tricks, and quick fixes. Quick and easy is a lie. The long road brings lasting results and patience is your superpower. I'm all about compassionate, empathetic evidence-based strategies that get results. Patience, that's a really key word because we have to be patient with ourselves that, that maybe the f eating something, it's a comfort thing. It makes you feel comfortable, but it's a short lived thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas like you're saying, why are we consistently, there's like a, an emptiness, a void, and what is that? And exploring that further and really looking at it. And I, and I think it's so important um, that you mentioned patience because there's no going quick on this one. You have to take the time to do the, I guess, do the work, right? Yeah. And even again, if we, we can bring this back to a very practical point, which is that when we set lofty goals or when we have um, we have unrealistic expectations, mm -hmm. that actually results in sabotage. And so I'll, I'll give you an example. This is so common. Um, you know, someone will make some dietary changes and will lose two pounds a week, right? Mm -hmm. Then next week again, losing two pounds. And um, they're frustrated, right? Like, two pounds a week, that's nothing. Uh, I want to lose five pounds a week, or I should be losing seven pounds a week or, um, right. And so that expectation, um, number one, doesn't allow you to acknowledge your wins, right? The right. That two pounds a week is eight pounds a month is 24 pounds in three months is mm -hmm. 50 pounds in six months. I mean, that's a lot of weight. So right. if we can be patient with the process, we will reach uh, a very significant goal. However, what happens is we get frustrated with the two pounds. And then what do we do? We say to hell with it. We throw in the towel. We sabotage mm -hmm. ourselves because we, we don't give value or we don't recognize that win. And so being patient is actually, um, it's like a ninja mind hack. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like not only is it the nice and compassionate and the kumbaya thing to do but it's actually evidence-based in terms of how are you, are you going to actually achieve your goals and not self-sabotage mm -hmm. mm -hmm. give yourself a, an opportunity to grow and and see results it's just everyone's a little bit different so so um i wanted to also mention there was one part of the um book in the hungry to heal I wonder if the connection between trauma and obesity, if it was more widely known, if it would serve to designate obesity in general population, a population that is, it's like, I'm sorry, I wanted to say that, that understanding that uh, there's a lot of shame around eating and that an indignity and that 
maybe it's someone who's really suffering, having has some trauma in life and that not looking at them as somebody that should be ashamed or looked down upon because they have, they are obese. You are speaking about obesity in your chapter. Yeah, so I think, well, that, that chapter in particular uh, does talk about childhood trauma or childhood adverse events. And mm -hmm. there's um, a significant amount of data on something called ACE or adverse childhood events. Yes. That has shown, um, uh, so adverse events in childhood are things like uh, verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, uh, mental illness in the home, incarceration or addiction in the home. And so if a child was subjected even to just, you know, a parent who had a, an, a, a problem, an addiction problem, or, mm -hmm. or just merely verbal abuse, um, that is a risk factor not only for obesity, but also for a multitude of diseases, including autoimmune disease, heart disease, and cancer. Yes. And it's interesting because people think, or might think that the link between it, that those things are, oh, well, the, there was abuse in the home, and so therefore the person smoked and got lung cancer, or there was abuse in the home and therefore they comfort ate and that's why they're obese. But actually what the science has shown is that that trauma, uh, that environmental factor results in something called uh, epigenetic changes. Mm -hmm. And so our genes are made up of of DNA that codes for the color of our hair, right? Uh, uh, our temperament, et cetera, right? Our height, all of these kind of characteristics. Mm -hmm. But then there are parts of the DNA that turn on or off those characteristics, right? And so one of those things or some of those things are the risk for obesity or the risk for autoimmune disease or cancers. And so what the science has shown is that those adverse events actually result in epigenetic changes that turn on the switch to make people more likely to have these conditions. And so what I was saying in that the sentence, I think, or even the chapter that you alluded to is that if we understood that this was a matter of physiology, that our negative environment in childhood actually impacted our physiology in that way, wouldn't we have more compassion? Yeah. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Not only for each other, but also for ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's the most powerful thing is for ourselves, because I think people are hardest on themselves when they're not, even in your book, it was, they were frustrated. They were hard on themselves for not getting the, the results right away or whatever, you know, that what have you. Um, that is really profound. And I, and I appreciate that. Um, I do know that the genes and DNA carry that through too. So if you've ever seen uh, the Galapagos Islands or, you know, it's carried through. So it's almost like, how does one turn off those switches? How do they get to a place? I guess they work not only on the actual health issue, which is maybe the eating, but also do they look to get therapy or do you work with anyone else to say, oh, um, this might be uh, 
advantageous for you or you just don't go there when you use help? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I am, I am not a therapist. And so if, if there are issues um, that I think need to be dealt with by a therapist, I'm, I'm frequently referring uh, patients to therapy, but in terms of, you know, changes that we can make, again, epigenetics occurs from in our environment. We can make changes in our environment and in the things that we do and, and, and in that way, change our genes ourselves. And so there's science to support that ch- eating a healthy diet, right? Not only is it like low calorie and mm-hmm. therefore you'll lose weight, but eating a healthy diet actually will result in change, epigenetic changes, uh, exercise and movement, right? In parents um, will result in epigenetic changes that then get passed down to the kids. Um, stress, uh, sleep, all of these things are factors that can affect us and our future generations in that they can be passed down. And that's really, again, powerful, right? Because we are, you know, we're not um, relegated to the genes that we have received, right? And I mentioned this also in the book where, there was a patient who whose entire family had not only obesity, but diabetes. And she felt kind of like this was her lot. It was her fate. And I talk in there about hunger for imagination, right? If you can dare to imagine to be different and allow yourself a different storyline, right? Mm-hmm. Like get up and go for a run. You know, even if you think you're quote, not a runner, that takes... Yeah audacity that takes imagination and in doing so you're literally hardwiring a new destiny for yourself and for your children on a, on an even genetic level um and so all of this is about for me empowerment it's not none of it is about um wallowing in the stories the stories are there to empower people uh, yes. that that we can make changes that have really tremendous outcome. Oh, absolutely. I love that you said that because I do think that people say, well, this is how it's always been. So this is how it's going to be. And if, and if they do make those changes, they can turn things around for not only for themselves, but the generations going forward, which is excellent. That is fantastic. So thank you for that. Um, I just wanted to say that you had quoted that I want others to know that the relationship with our bodies, weight and food is sacred. Examining this relationship can be a spark for broader change, creating a rippling effect to other areas of our lives. So I love that as well, because I'm a big believer in starting with, like I said, the concentric circles. Start with within what's, what's eating at you, what's causing that void or whatever, and work, work forward. Yours is, is through food, and I think it's just really powerful. Do you want to add any more to that um, with your work and what you're planning on doing? You have your your wonderful book, which I think is something for everyone to read. There's something in there for everyone. Um, what else are you working on? Well, you know, it's funny after, uh, well, when I, when the book came out and it was of course during the pandemic, uh, we started having these small book circles, which were really just supposed to be book signings. And, mm-hmm. um, but then they turned into, um, you know, a hour long conversation about our hungers. And one of the questions that came up over and over again is, okay, so 
how do I figure out my hunger, <laughs> right? Like, how do I figure that out? How do I know my hunger? And, um, you know, my answer to that is that there's a lot of different practices, basically, and you mentioned this earlier, you know, just slowing down and giving yourself time and space for true inquiry, mm-hmm. whether that's meditation or, you know, walking in the forest or, you know, even in your backyard or, yeah. But for me, writing is a very powerful tool. And there is a lot of data, again, to support uh, journaling and writing practices, not only in helping clarify your goals and values, but also in reducing depression and anxiety and reducing ruminations. Ruminations, I always describe as that, for me, it's like the NASDAQ at at the bottom of the screen, that constant running, right? Which is what we do. Um, We all, you know, the average human has 70,000 thoughts a day. So that means me, you, uh, the guy at the grocery store and the supermodel, you know, on the cover of Vogue. Everyone is doing the same thing. And so writing, I think, is a really profound and powerful resource. So I created a 30-day journaling guide that can be found on my website uh, to help give people thought uh, evoking writing prompts. And also I, I explain the data behind it to help kind of uncover their hungers. Um, I also have my own podcast, which is called Health Bite. And again, mm-hmm. as you can probably tell from our conversation, I like to be actionable, you know, yeah. and so I give people actionable bites in each podcast. And then I have a workbook that's also coming uh, out because again, I think this is all about taking the time to um, explore and engage in self-discovery. Oh my gosh. Thank you for saying that. And self-discovery is so powerful and we're not just done at one point in our life. I think it's something that we have to continue to do. And if we build a practice such as your journaling, um, which is um, really powerful in so many ways, I've I've recommended it in my own work and it is is extremely powerful uh, to help us just sort of get that out to, to, to what they call brain dump or whatever, just get it out. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to even really mean anything. And then sometimes there just becomes a cadence and then it starts to be a discovery, which I think is fantastic. So I love that you're doing that. I love that you're offering tools to people because a lot of times um, they'll read a book and they'll want more and they'll want something else. And so you're providing that, which is really excellent. Yeah, I, w- I also wanted to offer that um, if your listeners go onto the website, uh, dradrianudim.com and wish to purchase the book, Hungry for More, uh, mm-hmm. they can get uh, automatically enrolled into the 30-day journaling course. So again, it gives them an opportunity to have that actionable piece after they read the book. So I'd love to invite your listeners to take advantage of that if they're interested in pursuing this further. Oh my gosh, I will definitely have that in the notes. I think that is fantastic. And thank you so much for mentioning that. Adrienne, I love what you're doing. And by the way, everyone, her book, The Way She Writes is beautiful. It, it really does take you in and, and it's enjoyable to read as well. Even, you know, she's, she's obviously intelligent and she gives you the facts and all of the, the, the knowledge behind it, but she writes it in such a beautiful way. It's very, very inspiring to me and empowering. So thank you so much for today. I appreciate all of your time and what you're doing and I wish you great success with your book. Oh, thank you. It was lovely to speak with you, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thanks. Enjoying the show? 
You can find the notes at www.elizabethribbons.com. That's ribbons with one B or on your preferred podcast platform. Please be sure to follow, rate, and review. Reviews and word of mouth are still the number one way to learn about new podcasts, so I appreciate your support. Until next time.